You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this lovely weather, and for this time that we have together. And we pray that you would use this time for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the plan was to do a three-week series in missions. The plan is to do a three-week series in missions. It hasn't changed. Um, so this week, looking at Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. Next week, looking at Acts chapter 4 and the early church. And then the third week, we'll be combining, combining with our missions and outreach department and having Francis um, from Global Teams come and talk to us about his work in Africa. He's the um, director of Global Teams Africa. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, so why mission? What's the reason of doing a three-week series on mission? Um, this is really weird when it's just this setting. Um, <laughs> I know. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for the recording, it's good. <laughs> so uh, my family would go to a missions conference every year in January called CMS Summer School, the Church Missionary Society's uh, yearly conference, uh, and we mainly went for a really good Bible teaching, uh, but then I think my parents took us there for the free childcare on reflection now that we have a child, because it was, you know, there was, yeah. a, there was a kids program that the kids went to for half the day, so it was like free child minding. Uh, but every January, uh, every year, I'd sit and listen to people talk about the work God was doing in the country that they were sent to, and I hated it. Um, I loved like games and singing and being with my friends, but then when the missionaries would get up, I'd just like tune out. Um, it's mainly because I had a stone cold heart. Um, but during my many years of studying the Bible, I've come to realize the importance of God's mission in the world. Uh, and what we're talking about is not just sending people to the de- deepest, darkest parts of the world, uh, though we will talk about that uh, in our third week but we're talking about the good news of Jesus' salvation, uh, which is not just over there to those people out there, but it's for all people, for you and for me. So we're taking these three weeks to think about God's mission in the world, to see how it's integral to what God is doing in Jesus Christ and through His church. It's an important topic for the Christian life, uh, not only because it's about what God is doing in this world, but also because... Uh, It shapes our understanding of our vision for the Christian life. Uh, By focusing on missions, we are lifting our gaze from ourselves and looking at the bigger picture of God's plan for all people and for the world. We're reorientating ourselves around what God finds important, which is an important thing to do. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and see what God has to say to us today. I shall read for us. Uh, We're going to do from verse 1 to 41. Seems like a lot. It is, but it's going to be good stuff. (laughs) When the day of Pentecost arrived, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For those, for these people who, uh, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. And all your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Naz- uh, sorry, Men of Israel, hear the word of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he sat at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let the Holy One let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of the Lord. So Acts is one of the key uh, moments in the story of the Bible. Uh, it's here where we see the Holy Spirit being poured out to all people. Uh, it's called the democratization of the Spirit. Uh, the church is established, and um, the last days begin. Um, and just for context, um, all these guys are gathered in Jerusalem for the Pentecost, which was a Jewish tradition. It's, you know, I often I over associate it with the Holy Spirit coming down, but it's on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit comes down. Um, and this tradition of Pentecost was called uh, the Feast of Weeks, which is our feast. Uh, which occurred seven weeks after Passover and marked the beginning of harvest time. It was one of the three great agricultural festivals held annually to acknowledge God's goodness in the cycle of seasons and the fruitfulness of the earth. Uh, but for us, it does hold greater significance. Um, as we meet the disciples on this day of Pentecost. Uh, so a lot's been going on for them. Just 50 days ago, Jesus was brutally tortured by the Romans, uh, crucified as a common criminal, only to break free of death and be raised to new life. Uh, he then spent 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, so all this is going on, um, and then the Spirit kind of descends upon them, uh, just as Jesus had said back in chapter 1. Uh, and they gather in this house, and this rushing wind fills the entire house, and Divided tongues fall upon them. They begin speaking in other languages. Um, and this, uh, Peter ex goes on to explain, uh, is to fulfill the prophecy of Joel chapter 2, um, explaining that the last days that Joel was speaking about have come. So we look in, I think it's Joel chapter 2, that might be wrong. Um, look at uh, verse 17, Peter says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So in saying this, Peter is saying that those last days uh, have begun right now. Um, and so this Holy Spirit is uh, poured out on all people, uh, and as a result of... Uh, Peter's sermon, about 3,000 people are saved that day. So what does all of this mean? Uh, well, I want to highlight three things and then do application. So the democratization of this Holy Spirit. This is the point when the Spirit changes from being kind of uniquely given to priests and prophets um, to being given to all people. So I'll pour out my flesh on all people, that's right. Just like Bane. Yeah. Give it back to you. The Lord is giving it back to you, the people. Have you watched The Dark Knight? No. Oh. Wait, wait, I think I have it. Okay, but I don't remember. Batman. Anyway. Um, yeah, so in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given to empower... I looked this up because I was kind of a little bit confused about myself. His work was to empower, enable, and equip someone for a task to which God had appointed them. So it was very particular in what the Spirit was doing, but now 
the gates have kind of been flung open for the Spirit to come into all people and indwell uh, all God's holy people. And so just as the Old Testament and the prophets and the priests look forward to uh, Jesus' coming, now we as witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit look back to the cross uh, as witnesses of Him empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, so democratization of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the church is established. Um, so with the democratization of the Holy Spirit, that means that worship no longer is centered around a central place, a temple or a um, synagogue, as it were. Um, but uh, it is gathered around God's word and with his people. And so uh, the church here is established as um, salvation is offered to all who call upon the name of the Lord. It's not just the nation of Israel, it's not just through the priestly service, but it's in Jesus Christ flowing out by His Spirit to all people. Um, so as the Spirit goes out and brings people into God's family, those people become the church, the body of Christ, and they are gathered together uh, under His name. So the Spirit is given to all people, the church is established, and then salvation goes out to the ends of the earth. Um, so previously God had focused his mission on the people of Israel, but now uh, through the church and through the Spirit, that salvation is offered to everyone. Um, this shift happens uh, when Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The salvation that comes through his death and resurrection and ascension is the blessing of God that God promised to Abraham, and that goes out to all people. And so from now, from this point on in the story, the focus is no longer on bringing people to the temple, but to going out to the ends of the earth with a message of God's salvation. Uh, the focus of God's mission is on spreading the good, the good news, declaring to all people that the King has come, and that today is the day of salvation. So, democratization of spirit, the church is established, and that salvation goes out for all people. So what do we see uh, God's mission is in the world here? Um, just to keep you all lively, what did you notice in Acts chapter 2 about what God is doing in the world apart from the things I've talked about? Or maybe specifically? <laughs> Good. What is God doing in the world? What is God's mission in the world? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, stage one is to uh, raise Jesus as Lord and God, or appoint Him as Lord and God. Um, establish him as the ruler over all things. Um, so this is mentioned a couple times. Um, we see this in um, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Um, no, that's not what I was thinking about. 
Um, <laughs> the 33, sorry. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, is poured out in this yourselves is what you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this establishment of Jesus as Lord is kind of the ultimate goal of missions. Um, this is what all of the Bible is pointing towards, the time when uh, every knee shall bow before the throne, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this is, this is really God's ultimate goal, as Mark was talking about in the sermon, uh, what is the chief end of man, that we should glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is kind of step one of that, that Jesus will be the one who is glorified, um, and that everyone would be in line with that program. Uh, and as that program is established, uh, we are to go out and tell everyone that that is what is happening, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. As Jesus' ascension happens, the uh, disciples and apostles are equipped to go out and tell that message of Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, and so he's sending out that message to everyone and bringing them in, uh, willing everyone to come and submit to his throne. Uh, and then lastly, as that message of salvation goes out, I'm basically repeating myself, but as that message of salvation goes out, the church is gathered in and the church is built. Uh, so God's mission in, in the world is to build the church. Um, the church is not only the uh, locus of God's mission. So uh, we often talk about what is the mission of the church um, and that the church is to go out to tell the people. But the church is also the goal of the mission. So as we go out, we are to bring people in. We're to uh, tell them of the gospel. They get saved and then they become a part of the body. So the, the church is the goal of the mission. We see this especially in the book of Revelation where we see uh, everyone gathered around the throne and we see the heavenly church uh, doing its thing, having its church service. Um, so the church is part of the mission, but the church is also the goal of the mission uh, to go out to the ends of the earth, tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord and be saved and to grow his church. Any, any questions, any thoughts, any reflections? Yeah, that's that's something I've been thinking this past year about the you know the church Catholic and what that means and mm. um, and have at least earlier this year I haven't really done much reading of anything recently since I've been back in school <laughs> you know how that is um, but um, but you know thinking about and that's one one something that drew me closer and closer to. I mean, I even explored Roman Catholicism. I have Roman Catholic friends because I was like, I just need to feel that there's a strong center, you know, especially in our world. I need um, to know that there's um, something reliable that I can turn to. And, um, yeah, I, I do think that the that the the Roman Catholic Church limits the view of the church Catholic by by centering it around a city, you know, around Rome. Um, I understand That's historically why that came to be, but I think that it's actually um, Michael Archbishop Michael Ramsey writes in his book, The Gospel in the Catholic Church, that that ironically they lose the meaning of Catholicity mm. by limiting the scope of it to 
one city. And that's what I love about Anglicanism, or just broadly speaking, is that the view of the church is it's like, it's not like, oh, we are the correct church and you're not part of it. It's like, we have this structure because we think this it's useful. Exi- it's, well, I mean, even more than that, I guess maybe the more classic Anglican would be like, yeah, we think this is the right way to do it. You know, we think this, this structure is um, historically rooted and connected to the historical church in a way that will keep us rooted not just in Scripture, but in um, the authorities that, that come from the church fathers and such. But we're not going to say that our Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Christ are not part of the church or that our Catholic, or that our Presbyterian, or our Baptist, and um, so I honestly, I don't really, I've never been able to read Acts and be like, oh, that makes perfect sense, I understand it. It always, like, reading that, I was like, what in the world? (laughs) But that's my general thought about the church, and I like what you said about it's like going out so that we can bring it back in, because I think that's where, on one extreme, your Baptist, you know, might be like, okay, we got to go out and tell the world, but there's no sense of bringing it back in. Mm-hmm. There's no strong sense of the mm-hmm. central church, centrality of the church. But, um, you know, one thing that I think is cool about the Advent, even as opposed to especially other Episcopalians, is that it's so evangelical in its orientation, but there's still that sense of like, but we're doing that to bring it back in, you know? Um, and I, I've never thought about that before, about like sending out so that we can build this central stronghold even um, stronger, you know. Um, and so that's my, my general um, thought, <laughs> reflection, which um, doesn't have to do with my understanding of Acts 2. Has to do with your statement, <laughs> which is no, an I, understanding yeah. of what's happening. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think I would just like clarify some of that. Um, just be wary of the danger of holding up the institutional church more than like the i uh, theology of the church, I guess. Um, and so, what I mean by that is, when I'm saying church. I'm really having two meanings there of the body of Christ that is all believers, the invisible church, but then the local gathering as well. Um, and so I don't want to like... Which would be... Yeah, kind church. of what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm... That's When I say church, I'm thinking capital C yeah, church yeah. of like the, you know, the, the body of Christ. And that's what the right. Roman Catholics right, right. would think. You no, know, this is a visible... Expression. There, there is, is a visible expression, you know, as manifested in Rome. And from my limited understanding of the Anglican position has always been, this is visibly manifest in many, you know, in the many churches. And right, churches right, right, and such. right. But ultimately, you can't, you can't see the church. You can't right. see the body. Yeah. That's a mystery. And that's the other thing I love about Anglicanism. It's like, we don't have to understand everything all. we don't yeah. have to explain it all in fact we can't it's a mystery we can't yeah, yeah we can't you know um yeah so yeah i didn't mean the local no no just or even but you know diocese right even. right right yeah, i yeah. really mean that mysterious body yeah of right which we're all yeah perfectly especially our diocese to, trying to you know um yeah find you know 
Yeah, it's just the the problem comes when you do like lean on the f- visible church too much. As you, you put too much weight on, you know, the Advent or St. John's or I'm just saying names now, St. Paul's, whatever, you know, rather than on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it's great. It just makes, like, everything makes so much sense when you look at the church coming scene because, like, God is relational. He's communal. Like, He is one of three. There, he is three in one. God he made us relational. We're made to be with one another. And the Institute of the Church provides the trellis mm-hmm. for the members of the body of Christ. Together, to together. Gather together, yeah. which is such a big part of being part of the body because we cannot do it alone, as mm-hmm. the Bible says. Yeah. And God wants us to do it together. Um, at least that's his character when he wants to do it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it's a hard balance to find between, because it's easy enough to say Jesus and Scripture, like that's the, but, you know, it's like at some point you do practically need, because the, the problem with that is it's like, I can tell you, I don't know what it is at Beeson, but I can just say I was, for a period of time, a, a church music student, and there were very progressive thinkers leading that program, and I think still are, and some more conservative voices, but, um, you know, and so some of the things, like, were very questionable to me, and it was just assumed, like, this is, yeah, the, this is the way, like, this, of course this is good. You know, I was like, but right. there needs to be, like, who's the author, who gets to right. decide that right. that's the case, right? That this is, you know, the legitimate, uh, like, mm-hmm. and so that's where I think um, if the co- the Roman Catholic Church overemphasizes the authority of the visible church. I think the broader balance of scripture and reason and tradition and Anglicanism really gives us, it's like, okay, it's not just scriptures, you know, above all of those, but we do need right. we authorities need on earth to we help, help us understand. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a scholar in scripture. And some scholars and scriptures just totally wrong. get scriptures wrong. Right. <laughs> but um, but we need, and that's where we need to to depend in part, not in whole, on okay. Well, what has the teaching of the church always been? Because that won't cover all the the little political issues we have. Right. But it definitely tells us what we should believe as Christians about right. abortion. Right. You know, there's no question when you. Um, you know, or, or I mean, just like the big yeah. homosexuality, right? You know, like those things, if you, you know, so I, I mean, all that to say, I, I think that's where there has to be. Yeah, tradition um, is really helpful. Yeah. yeah. And to your point earlier about what you're saying is that what Axe was talking about, the number one goal is to make Jesus supreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of secondary or tertiary issues, but that's like the number one mission. Yeah. Uh, yeah, God's mission. God's yeah. Mission. To unite all things under Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the work you are doing in this world that you have done in Christ Jesus, and we ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to 
go out to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.